everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. Uh, with that, I want to invite up Bob Palumbo. Many of you know Bob, some of you don't. <clears throat> Bob and Marilyn started this church almost 30 years ago, and I am so thankful that they still are part of this church family. There's not a lot of churches that I know of that have people like Bob and Marilyn in their church, where like the humility, the willingness to serve and love and continue to engage with a you know, second-generation pastor team is just so friendly and so, I don't know, I just feel really connected to Bob and Marilyn. So I'll get off the stage. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Good to be here. Uh, enjoy. Okay. One of the things we told Amos and Allison when we did the transition was that Marilyn and I felt very much like we could follow them as our pastors. And we've been... Doing that, we love them so much. This church is is greatly blessed to have them uh, in our leadership. So, hey, it's um, cool to be here today. Um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Fill this place with your presence. We invite you. And we anticipate and expect, like you've told us to, for you to do your work among us. We pray that everything we do today lifts Jesus up as the one we love and follow and desire to be like. In his name we pray. Amen. So today uh, we're continuing on the uh, little mini-series we're having on vineyard distinctives. Um, distinctives are those things we talk about and put into practice that set us apart from other expressions of the church. Now our distinctives don't make us better than others. They just define what we believe to be important about living this life with Jesus. We should be able to walk into any vineyard church and see these distinctives talked about and practiced to some degree. And I want to thank Emily Nefus. Emily brought a, an excellent uh, message last week about the distinctive of being uh, naturally supernatural when we do the stuff that Jesus taught, did. And uh, if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to watch that on the streaming. This week we're going to look at our distinctive, Everyone Gets to Play. So we're going to take a break, go out to the playground, hang out. There is an age limit out there. So, uh, John Wimber, who was kind of like the father of the vineyard and the national director through the 80s and into the 90s, uh, would often throw out these one-liner statements as he taught on the Bible. Things like, come Holy Spirit, uh, doing the stuff, the main and the plain, the already and the not yet. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. 
and also everyone gets to play. And they eventually became our distinctives. It wasn't like John sat down one day and said, these shall be our distinctives. Our distinctives developed organically as we put into practice what we were being taught out of the Bible. Now, I attended my first uh, conference led by John in Anaheim, California, back in 1984. Uh, and it was one of those landmark events in my life that transformed my theology and my experience of Jesus forever. Uh, I got to see up close what everyone gets to play looks like. And I wanted to do that. Uh, and I'll talk about uh, that conference a little bit later. So let's look at everyone gets to play. When you um, look at the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament that record the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said, you find that when it comes to doing the stuff, what is the stuff? Healing the sick, healing those who are sick physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, they're, they're bound up in, in uh, darkness. Um, pretty much it was Jesus doing the stuff. When you look at that, the first um, part of those gospels. He teach the stuff and then he would demonstrate what doing the stuff looked like. Let's open our Bibles uh, to Luke chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, you can run back and get one of the, those that are available. Um, and as if anybody wants to do that, I'll set up the context for this particular verse. The context in Luke four is Jesus is went to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to a synagogue and he announces why he was sent by the father. He opens the Old Testament, Testament book of Isaiah where it records what Messiah will come to do. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. And then he says to those gathered, these scriptures are fulfilled now in your hearing. So Jesus proclaims what he has come to do. Then if you go to Luke chapter 4, verse 40, he begins to demonstrate what he has come to do. It says in verse 40, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. And that's one of the ways Jesus would pray for people. He would lay his hands on them. And that's why when we do training for praying for the sick, we teach people to you know, ask people, is it okay if I lay my hand on your shoulder or, or in the, or in the uh, area that you're feeling um, pain, because that's how Jesus did it. And it's always important, we feel, to ask people permission to do that and to do it very discreetly. Now, keep in mind, uh, it says here that Jesus, no matter what the disease, he, he healed all of them, but Jesus did not heal everybody all the time. In his hometown, the scriptures say that there was so much unbelief, he could do no miracles except lay his hands on a few people and that were sick and heal them. Another time, there was this pool that people would gather when they were sick. 
Um, there is this belief that if you jumped in a pool, when the pool was stirred by an angel, it was kind of a mystical thing that was going on, um, you would be healed. So Jesus went to where the sick people were, and he healed one of them. He only healed one of them. He often said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. And that's what the Father was doing in those circumstances. We talk about the already and the not yet of the kingdom. God's kingdom is already here, but it's not come in fullness. People are healed today, but not everyone we pray for is healed. But we continue to pray for them because we've seen people healed. And that motivates us to continue to pray. So early on in the Gospels, Jesus is the one doing the stuff, healing, setting people free of spiritual bondages. And that was really a sign that God was with him. Now, when I went to seminary in the 70s, I'd be studying the Gospels, studying the Bible, reading the Gospels, and I saw these healings and miracles that Jesus was doing, and I would think, does this have any relevance for us today? I mean, the only ones that I was seeing praying intentionally for the sick were on TV. And I wondered, you know, is it for everybody? Maybe the faith healers on TV can do it, but maybe it's not for all of us. Now, when John Wimber, uh, I, I heard John Wimber for the first time, there was something about John Wimber that was so cool. He had a knack for giving language to things that we were feeling about the scripture, about our relationship with God. And he gave language to that, things that we didn't know quite how to express. And in 1984, I heard John Wimber talk about, as he read the Bible and saw all the things that Jesus was doing, he said, when do we get to do the stuff? And, and Emily showed a video last week of him saying that. That gave such great language to what Marilyn and I were feeling. Yes, when do we get to do the stuff? Now, one of the reasons we weren't doing this stuff is because of the models we saw of healing in the 70s. It was the preacher as a one-man band. Uh, the few of those you found praying regularly for the sick were on TV, but they were doing it in such an unnatural way. The way they talked, the hype, the showmanship, it just really put, put me off. I had only been a believer for a few years when I started going to seminary. So I wasn't churchified yet. I didn't speak the language. I didn't do the gestures. Unfortunately, I started to after I went through seminary. Then I came back in the vineyard and said, I can just be myself. <laughs> no. But we used to watch um, this faith healing TV evangelist on Saturday nights. And we'd actually make a bowl of popcorn and we would sit there and watch this guy and have a laugh. I was in seminary and we were poor, so options for entertainment were very few. And he was this one-man show. People would stand in line, they'd come up on stage, and he was the only person praying for anybody. And he was so animated again in the way he talked and carried himself. He spoke with King James Version English. I heal thee in Jesus' name. That's kind of how he talked. And he hit people in the head. He pushed people down. 
And all this was entertaining. I took there eating popcorn watching it. But I thought, I don't want to do that. I could never see myself doing that. And it was evident on occasion that somebody was healed. And it was very, very clear that they were healed. But do I have to do it that way? Then John Wimber comes along and says, everyone gets to play, not just the guys on stage, not just the superstars or the people with all the titles. And you don't have to be anyone but who you are. You don't have to be anyone but yourself when you do this stuff. You can just be your natural self and see God work through you supernaturally. So just be yourself. Just talk the way you talk. Carry yourself the way you usually carry yourself. And, and this is all out of a theology of the gifts of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That there are situational anointings where the gifts of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit are distributed for a specific need and occasion. When there's a need for a healing, the Spirit will release the gift of healing through the person praying. But the gift is for the person who needs to be healed. And that's part of the reason why we lay hands on people because it's like you're almost like a conduit through which God's healing power comes through you. You don't always have to lay hands on people. Jesus healed people that weren't even near him. But it's one of the ways we do it. And we can all receive from the Spirit. The John said that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's like a party. And we all get to participate and play. In the forward to a little booklet called Everyone Gets to Play, and I tried to, it, you can download this, and I tried to find a specific link for you, but you just have to Google, everyone gets to play. Weird stuff may come up, ignore that. But I think this is on Multiply Vineyard site, but I couldn't find it when I went to the site. So you can, just keep looking, you'll find it. But Christy Wimber, who is John's uh, daughter-in-law, said this. The phrase that John Wimber was known to say often was, everyone gets to play. His goal was to create opportunities for normal people to do extraordinary things. The action wasn't always on the stage, but all around the room. In those vineyard meetings, he would give opportunities for people to learn how to pray for one another and begin discerning how to hear God's voice. What is behind everyone gets to play is a belief that Jesus came to equip his followers to do the stuff he was doing. And leadership in the church is about equipping people to do what Jesus did, not standing up here and shining like superstars. Early on in John's ministry, he was leading very large meetings around the world where the Holy Spirit was showing up and people were getting filled with the Spirit and people were getting healed. And he said to his wife, Carol, I can either get a tent and have a revival where I do all the stuff or I can release it to the people and equip them to play. And that's what he did. And we're all thankful that he did it that way. So what does it mean to say everyone gets to play? It means everyone gets to pray. Everyone gets to pray. So Jesus in the Gospels is speaking the words and doing the works of the kingdom of God. And then at Luke 9, verses 1 through 6, 
page 1080. It says, one day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everybody about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they began their circuit of the villages. What did they do? Preaching the good news and healing the sick. You see the pattern? Speaking the words and doing the works. I feel like our generation, the people that live in our culture, are not going to be convinced by just speaking to them. They need to see demonstrations of Jesus working today to be drawn closer to him. They needed that in Scripture, and we need it today. The context in which John Wimber coined that one-liner, everyone gets to play, was helping people know that they can all pray for the sick. John would pray for people at conferences at his church, but it was mostly um, to demonstrate what it looks like. He'd be at conferences and he would bring somebody up and he would pray for them, and then he would leave. He would leave the conference once the ministry time was released. He, he so did not want to propagate a superstar atmosphere. Because there is really only one superstar, right? Jesus Christ. Somebody should write a musical about that sometime. <laughs> Stupid, I know. But Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one who releases the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one with the power. It's all about Jesus. But we all get to play. We all get to pray for people. We all get to say the words and do the works of Jesus. Saying everyone gets to pray is just another way of saying everybody can get in on what the Holy Spirit is doing. As we say, come Holy Spirit. We get to participate with the Spirit as he moves among us doing what he wants to do. Someone says, oh, I want to get closer to God. I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Pray for some folks. That's close to the heart of God. You'll experience him. God will come close to you when you do. Praying for the sick is what Jesus intends us to do. Praying for the sick and seeing results isn't just a matter of faith. It's a matter of obedience. What stands out to me in this passage I just read where Jesus sends them out is that they went. They went. See, healing always requires faith. Either my faith when I'm praying for somebody or the faith of the person I'm praying for or the faith of the people I'm praying with. And that's why we encourage when you pray for people, get at least one other person or maybe two because the spirit will jump around on you as you pray and give something to somebody else. And... But my experience is the faith becomes evident in the context of obedience if I will move beyond my timidity, beyond my insecurities, beyond my fear, and obey, that's faith. Don't you think those disciples were a little, little nervous going out when Jesus said, go out? I mean, John's saying, what are we going to say? Peter says, we'll figure it out. Thomas says, I doubt it. 
But they're thinking, what, you know, he says he only does what the, he sees the father doing. How are we going to know what the father's doing? We don't know what we're doing half the time. But they went, they obeyed, took a risk, expressed their faith. And then Jesus tells us about 72 other people, other of his disciples he sent out. And it says this in Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with what? Joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I like that progression. Faith, obedience, joy. Say, oh, I need more joy in my life. Pray for a few people. Lay hands on a few people and pray for them. See God's love in action in your life. See how people sense that love. See how when people are, are healed and set free and get their broken hearts men, mended up, how joyful that can be. Not just for them, but for you. One of our services, a girl who was attending for a while, brought her girlfriend to church. And I was up praying with everybody else, and she came up and said, my, my girlfriend lost her job. Would you pray for her that she finds employment? I said, sure. <clears throat> so I started praying for her, and in the context of the prayer, I had one of those times where God gives you an impression. And so I spoke the impression to her. I said, how's your relationship with Jesus? And she said, I didn't even know I could have a relationship with Jesus. So I prayed for her. She asked Jesus into her life. There is nothing that gives me more joy than seeing people come to Jesus. Next week she came to church and said, I got a job. They're, well, great, icing on the cake. Everyone can pray. It just takes faith, obedience, and there's a fruit of joy that is mixed there. But you say, well, I'm scared. What if I mess up when I'm praying for people? What if I say something stupid? How many know there's no what if? You will mess up. You will be scared. You will say something that, you know, God's saying that you have this going on in your life. No. Oh, you want to bring it back and put it back in there. You'll do that. After praying for thousands of people over these past 38 years, I've come to know that you never get to the place where you feel like your confidence is off the charts. When you feel like you've arrived, that you're not taking risk when you step out and pray. You always feel like you're an amateur doing this stuff. Let me say that again. You always feel like you're an amateur doing this stuff. You pray and pray and keep on praying in spite of the results, and you always feel like an amateur. Even when there's an evident healing, you wonder sometimes how that, how that happened. It's like marriage. Any married people feel like you've arrived, that you're an expert? It's like raising kids. If kids knew at the time they were born 
that their lives were being entrusted to amateurs, they'd say, put me back. Marilyn and I were 20 years old when our first daughter was born. And we had no instructions. You know how when you buy something and they give you the instructions, and it's always pages and pages and fine print, and if you're lucky, they throw in the little card that says, easy assembly, right? Easy assembly. Easy setup. We had a baby, and we're looking for the easy assembly page, and there is none. We would have settled for Ikea instructions, just little drawings of where everything fits. You have to figure it out. Now, we actually have an easy setup in the vineyard. It's called the five-step prayer model, where it lays out a way to engage people in prayer, gives you something to kind of lean on when you're trying to listen to God's voice and discern the Holy Spirit. And we give training to that from time to time. But like so many other things, when it comes to praying for the sick, we always feel like amateurs. I still feel like amateur, an amateur. I know I am no expert at this. I'm an amateur. Now, we hear that word amateur as a derogatory word, right? Those people are all amateurs. My wife is a, don't say it, amateur. You know what you find when you look up where that word came from, the etymology? It comes from a Latin word, amare, that means to love, or amator, which means lover. An amateur is someone who does something because they love it. You pray for people because you love people. And you love to pray for them. Are we supposed to love people? Are we supposed to do the two that Jesus said to do? Two commands, love God and love one another. So my real hope today is that rather than leaving here and just coming away with a knowledge up here that, okay, everybody gets to play means everybody gets to pray that the Holy Spirit will do some work among us and move that knowledge down into our hearts and we'll become, start to become more motivated by compassion and love for people and jump into the party and play and pray. So everyone gets to play means everyone gets to pray, which leads to, can I pray for you now? Can I pray for you now? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can I pray for you now means rather than approaching prayer simply as a promise to pray. Oh, I'll be praying for you. You pray now when a person expresses a need 
as an act of obedience and faith. <clears throat> Jesus said, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And that can be risky. That can be very intimidating. Scary to step out and do. <clears throat> I have a glass of water, Simmer. Someone grab that for me. I'm a little rusty speaking this long, folks. So, so pray for me. Extend your hand. <clears throat> Thank you, Elizabeth. Where was I? Okay. Stepping out and actually praying for somebody now can be very risky, intimidating, can be very scary to do. Uh, it, it's a lot easier, less risky when someone says, you know, I've been having this migraine headache for a week now to say, oh, I'll be praying for you. Now, that's a good thing. How many know any prayer for people is a good thing? Any way you pray. Our distinctive in the vineyard is to say, oh, well, can I pray for you now? Why? Somebody says, why is can I pray for you now such a big deal? Because it's keyed into we trust the Holy Spirit to be with us. We anticipate that. We expect that. And that when he is with us, he releases his gifts as we pray. And as we pray, we may see what the Father is doing. And that person may be healed on the spot. But even if they aren't healed on the spot, they're going to know God cares about me and is with me. We had for uh, several years, some of you may are aware of this, we had these fairs we hold on the side of the building. <clears throat> we call them free fall fairs and everything was free, food, games, prizes, we had live music. And one of the things we did was set up a prayer tent. And there was a sign, free prayer, which is another vineyard distinctive, by the way. Our prayer is free. No, I'm kidding, but it is. And people would walk by that tent. Some of them would actually come in. Now, I say some of them because don't you know that as difficult as it is to step out and pray for somebody now, it's just as difficult to ask somebody to pray for you now. It's difficult to come down here into these front seats and say, I need prayer. And that's why sometimes we'll just say, if you need prayer, just raise your hand. We deliver. You know, we'll pray for you where you are. It, it, it's intimidating. We get that. But a woman came in with her daughter to the prayer tent. And she was having this physical issue. I think she had shoulder pain or something. Lots of pain. So as we prayed, I, I got this impression that was, she was having, besides all her physical stuff going on, some serious problems with a family member. So I said to her as we were praying, are you having some really real difficulty in a relationship with somebody at home? And she went like this. And she said, what are you, one of those psychics? I said, no, I, I just got this impression from God that he's aware of this and he wants you to know that he loves you very much and he loves that person very much. So she starts weeping and we prayed for her 
And as she left, she said, thank you. And I'm feeling it's, it's not as painful now. Now, I know, again, praying for people now requires faith and obedience, and it's a risk to step out into what the Holy Spirit is doing now. But you know what? If we wait until we felt like we knew everything there is to know about how to pray, if we wait until we feel like we've had enough experience, if we wait until we felt like I'm not intimidated by it anymore, I'm not going to worry about what to say, if we waited for all those things to fall into place, we would never pray. I know from experience. I've had seasons where that was true. What has kept me praying for the sick, well, it's seeing people healed for one is a real motivator. Uh, seeing people healed physically, emotionally, seeing uh, broken marriages mended together. Those things have really motivated me. But I also have prayed for a lot of people that were not discernibly healed. There is no evidence that the Spirit of God was even on them. So success cannot be your motivator. What keeps me keeping on is Jesus' promise that he would be with me. He would be with me as I step out and pray for the sick. When you pray, you can expect Jesus to be with you by his Holy Spirit as you pray. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if we just look at that as some general kind of prayer for everybody all the time, we're going to miss the fact that that promise is for each of us specifically. And I, I know th things can get really tough. You need to say, well, I am going through so much myself right now. Life is so hard. I don't have the confidence that I'm going to hear God and be much use praying for somebody else. I totally get that. Life can be hard. Sometimes it's really, really, really hard. We have come through three years of really, really, really hard. And some of you have been on hold in terms of your praying. You used to pray for the sick a lot, but you put that on hold for a while. And I think God's saying it's time to re-up. It's time to re-enlist. But that fact of God being with me has motivated me to pray. I have an experience from way back early on in my journey of doing this stuff. I don't think I've ever told this story to anybody. I may have on a one-to-one, -one, but I don't think I've ever told it publicly. Um, but I felt like as I was preparing for today, that the Spirit of God reminded me of this and said, this is going to make a difference for a lot of people today. So I'm going to share it with you. Marilyn and I have a lot of things that we can look, for, look to that um, God did when we left the church I was pastoring uh, in Colorado for five years and took a risk to resign and connect with a vineyard church plant. Um, he confirmed what we were feeling, he, he affirmed it through his word, through um, other people in our lives that we trusted. Uh, we had people we did, didn't hardly know. I was, I was pastoring a church, and, and he turned around to me uh, at a vineyard service and said, 
God's saying, you're supposed to be with a vineyard. And I'm like, how do you know that? God told him. But I had an experience while attending uh, a, vineyard, uh, a conference in Anaheim, California, the night before. It was my first John Wimber conference. I think it was on spiritual warfare or healing. I can't remember. But the experience was significant in helping me know Jesus was with me. That even when I felt vulnerable and, and had times when things were so tough, so difficult, really hard, and we were going through a lot, it helped to solidify in my life the reality that Jesus is with me. As I said, I had been pastoring a church for five years, received clear and confirmed guidance of God from God to, to resign, to connect with his vineyard and help with this new church plant. After we tested that leading for a, a few months, I resigned. I gave my two weeks notice. Now it meant I needed to find a home because the home we lived in belonged to the church. I needed to find a job. Marilyn had a job, but she wasn't making a lot of money. We had bills to pay and food to buy. How many know bills to pay and food to buy? Mostly what was weighing on my heart so much was I had two daughters. I needed to take care of them and all this. So there was a lot of transitioning from a place of provision into a place of real need. And we had had that experience before where we needed God to, to do something in our lives. But when, you know, when the, the insecurity surface, you really wonder if God is going to be for you and with you now as he was when back then. So here's the situation. I, I need to find a job and figure out where we're going to live. But first, I'm going to California for a conference with eight other guys I hardly even know who were part of this new church plant. I remember one of the guys was like six foot four or six foot five. It reminded me of the Incredible Hulk. He was just this big guy. And we all piled, all five of Five of those guys piled into my Renault Alliance, including the Hulk. The Hulk had to sit next to me. Now, the Renault Alliance received Motor Trend's Car of the Year reward in 1983. But what they don't tell you is in 1984, it starts falling apart. <laughs> and somewhere over the mountains, west of LA, the San Gabriel Mountains, the transmission started making this ear-splitting grinding noise. So I said, great, on top of everything else, my car is breaking down. The Hulk is breaking my car. <laughs> I had to blame it on somebody. So I had an excitement, anticipation of what God was doing in the conference, but fear, worry, insecurity, intimidation. You know, faith isn't a bubble protecting you from life's stresses. Faith is trust that God is with you in those stresses. I was learning that. I'm still learning that. Amateur. We arrived. Someone put us up in their home, in this room. We were sleeping on cots and sofa beds and on the floor. <clears throat> I was not in a good space at all. I was exhausted from the drive. I was missing Marilyn and my daughter as we hardly ever did anything apart from one another. 
Uh, I was feeling like I should be home looking for a job, not in California where there's palm trees and warm sun and in and out burger. I should be home. I wasn't sensing God with me in that moment at all. So I was laying on one of the cots and I was feeling alone, scared, worried, thinking, where are you, God? I don't have a job and now my car is broke. And across the room on a sofa bed, there was this guy with his son. And his son was autistic. By this time, I was shedding tears silently in the darkness of the room, kind of like in the fetal position. Anybody else know the fetal position? So much was going through my mind, I just couldn't sleep. So in the darkness, I noticed the sun got up off the sofa bed. And he started crawling over toward me. And I started thinking, what is happening? He came up close. He leaned in and kissed my cheek. Then went back to his father. I thought, what just happened? <laughs> but the presence of God's spirit filled me in that moment. How do you know that? Because I just felt God's perfect peace, his love for me, that he was so near. And I, I heard that still small voice of God inside saying, I know you're going through a lot, but I'm with you. I'm with you. And I went off to sleep. <laughs> the next day, the father came up to me. <laughs> Didn't know what he was going to do. But the father came up to me, and his, he said his son had told him that as he was lying there, God told him to pray for me. And that now the spirit wanted him to do something. Could he go over to me? And the father knew that his son had a track record of being very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So he said, okay, but he didn't really know what he was going to do. And the boy crawled over and he kissed my cheek. Everyone. I really believe the state I was in at that time, my whole future could have been changed. I was in no mood for a conference. I didn't care about learning the stuff or whatever you want to call it. I wanted to get home and take care of my family. But Jesus met me in that moment, and it was transforming through that young man. And it was a landmark experience being brought out of a place of despair into a place of confidence. Now, kissing people's cheek is not as a vineyard model. <laughs> Just a disclaimer. We lay hands on people. We're careful how we do that. But for me, that's what God was doing to bring me close and let me know he was there. And I woke up the next day knew that Jesus was with me, 
and I learned how to say the words and do his works. And I prayed for probably a lot of people. It was all chaos prayer because there was 2,000 people praying for people at the same time. I'll just tell you one more thing and then we're going to close. You know I'm going to go on longer than that now. Someone from the front in all this praying that was going on said, God is releasing healings for lower backs. I said, I got a lower back and I got a messed up lower back. I had had pain in my back for 10 years. It ran down into my foot. Three or four people came over. They prayed for me for about 15 minutes. I was healed of 10 years of pain like that. That will motivate you to get involved and play. So as you are Playing and praying, make sure you get the prayer that you need. Don't ever feel like you got to the place where I can pray for people. I'm seeing God move, but I'm not going to get prayer because what would they think? They might think I'm weak. We are all weak. We are all weak and broken. Amateurs who love people and love praying for people. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to take about two minutes just to sit in silence. Interestingly, in Eastern mysticism, the whole goal is to empty yourself. But the goal of Christianity is to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with God, be filled with the good things of God. I don't want to give you too much direction, but except for the one thing of if God's touched you in some way through that experience I just shared, maybe ask him why. What is going on? So let me pray, and then we're going to just sit for about two minutes. Let the Spirit do his work. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you release the kingdom among us? Holy Spirit, come in power today. To set captives free, to heal the sick. That the oppressed would be released of bondages. Bring people close to Jesus. Let's be quiet now.
we're going to worship, and uh, I know you guys know this, but just as a reminder, we can come into God's presence as we are. If you're weak today, if you're tired, if things have been so difficult lately, if you're going through a lot, you can just bring that all to God. I mean, the whole purpose of worship is not about us. It's about Him. But you know what? He loves us so much, He meets us where we are. And one of the words in the Bible that is translated worship is the word proskuneo. It talks about the deepest intimacy we can come to God with. That word literally means to turn toward and kiss. So as we worship today, let the Spirit draw you into intimacy with the God who loves you so much. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.